Welcome, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is so good to see you guys all here today. Um, last Sunday, July 4th, it was so fun, not only in here on Sunday morning, but out there. Jackie and I, we drove up to the, to the grass slope on this side, and there's a little driveway up there, and we just parked at the top of that driveway and got to watch the fireworks that are less than a quarter of a mile away right there. And you could hear it kind of ricocheting off of the post office. And it was, it was an awesome spot. You guys, next year, we're just going to do a big old uh, uh, Fourth of July party out there on that grass slope, okay? So all of us are going to hang out together out there. It's a sweet spot. It's a sweet spot to watch the fireworks. In here, it was also really fun to uh, Sunday morning to give our staff and some of our key volunteers a break. Um, it was, and we can only do that because of you guys. You guys extend the grace to do that. You could be a church that complains about it. They could say, Where, why didn't you do kids stuff? We needed to put my kids in a classroom. Or, or why wasn't the whole band up here? And why was Jackie running everything last week? Production and the slides and all of it. You guys could have complained about that. But instead, I think that you guys leaned in, which was so fun. Jackie and I went home on Sunday and we're just going, man... It's fun to have a church that believes in both working hard, but giving people the rest they need and to give our children's people and to give our, our cafe people and to give our production people and these worship people that have given so much time and energy to what we're doing on Sundays to give them a break and to, give our, to let our staff just rest. I think we're better off when those people rest like that. So we love it that we got to do that together. Well, one of the things that we did last week is we introduced a new series the series is called Gospel. Now, Gospel, the simple definition of Gospel is it's the good news. It's good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Now, we always hear in, in, light, in, in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, that's just the good news of Jesus that has been written down by Mark or written down by John or written down by Matthew or Luke. That's, that's, it's the Gospel of Mark. It's the good news of Jesus written down by one of those guys. Well, what we're talking about today is we're talking about the gospel from the letter to the Colossians because Paul talks about the good news, this good news that God looked at each one of us and said, I love you this much that I am going to come to this earth and I am going to walk amongst you and I'm going to feel what you feel and I'm going to experience what you experience. I know you and he's going to do that through his son, Jesus. The good news that Jesus came to us and shows us and teaches us all about God's love. The good news that says that Jesus saw that we were broken and separated from God. And that we, and that we would die separated from God. He's going, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to die instead. It's substitute for us. Separated from God. But death's not going to have the final say and that, that life will win and Jesus rises from the, from the grave and ultimately ascends into heaven and breathes life into us and says, the good news is that I'm with you today. The good news is my Holy Spirit is within each one of you. The good news is that you're not alone. And all of that is all part of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And it's so much more than that. And I think that's what I tried to get at last week. It's so much more than that. That's already, you can't get any more than that. That gives us eternal life because of that life that Jesus, Jesus has breathed into us. It's hard to get any more than that. 
But it is. It's Jesus from the very beginning to the very end. It's Jesus from before we were, when we were first created. It's Jesus at the beginning. And it's Jesus all the way to the end when we're standing at the doorstep of heaven, not for him to judge us, but for him to invite us in. And that is, that, that is the gospel. And, and, and we live within that bookends, within those parameters. We live from the very beginning to the very end. And Jesus, this is what the kingdom living looks like. This is what gospel living looks like, is what happens in between those two times. And that's what we get to live in right now. Now, now there's, it's, it's, there's a tension in that. Because, because it, when, when we finally surrender our life to Jesus, you know, remember, God pursues us. And he's pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you. When we surrender our life to Jesus, that's, that's justification. That's what the Bible would call justification. We are justified to be in a right relationship with God. And that's immediate. And right there, you're going to heaven for eternity. God justifies you right there. But we live in the tension of our humanity in, within these parameters. We live in the tension of our humanity. And that's why there's times where you're just going, man, I can't wait to, pre- to, 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 to worship God. And there's times where you're as far away from God as you could ever feel. Because we're living in that tension. Ultimately, that leads us to God's glory, a perfect reflection of God. And in that time in between there, Jesus is working on us. Another big word, sanctification. He's just working on us as we're getting closer and closer to God's glory for eternity. That's, that's, that's this world that we live in. This is a gospel world that we live in. Jesus meeting us in that tension between our humanity and the reality of eternal life with him. That's the gospel. And we learn about it through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. We learn about it through Paul and then we live it out in our life. When you look at, at Paul's letters, there's all kinds of points in his letters that talk to us about this. Colossians is one in particular that he spends the entire time. This it, is all of the gospel that he, pre, he presents to, to all these people in Colossae. About 60 AD, he's writing to actually a whole region of Laodicea and Colossae and Heropolis. He's writing to that whole area that's about 100 miles from Ephesus where he spent a lot of his time. He had never been to this part. But in Ephesus, he, he, he started a church there, and the influence of that church reached hundreds of miles. And I talked about this last week. How cool would it be if we were so living a gospel life throughout this church that we would have influence hundreds of miles away because of it? And that's what was happening but in the midst of this time in Colossae, there was, a, there was a heresy that was happening. There were these people, these Gnostics that were coming in and they were, they were trying to, to, to tell people that Jesus was not supreme and Jesus was not sufficient and that was not enough. And, and Paul is writing to him saying, let me remind you of the gospel. And so he writes this letter to the, to the, to the people in Colossae. That's what we're going to take a look at. We started with last week on chapter one. I'm doing chapter two this week. We'll do three and four in the next two weeks, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get a chance to dig into your word today. And uh, no matter where we stand, no matter what we're bringing into the, the room right now, we pray that you would help center us. We'd love it that your word never comes back void. And that as we dig into it, you speak to us. You continue to draw us to you. 
We're thankful for that, and we pray that you would draw us to you today as we learn more about who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Here's how we're going to do this. I want to, I want to couch this in something. Um, it's something that happened in Jackie and my life about a month ago. We got the chance to go on a vacation with all of our kids. And, and you guys, I'm telling you, that is, that is not easy to do at the age that my kids are at, okay? Um, my kids, my, I've got my oldest, Ella. She's married to Justice. And my second oldest is Jack. He's married to Emily. And they have little baby Brindley that is my granddaughter, which is the greatest. And you got that. Then you got Maggie, who's 22. And you got Abby, who's 18. And, and so when we are talked about doing a family vacation together, we're going, the chances of, of bringing them all in together to do this is, is so remote. Any of you guys that have high school, middle school, grade school kids, take advantage. Go on trips because there's going to be a day that they're going to say, I can't do it. I got no vacation time. And so you, you just don't know if that will ever happen. Well, Jackie and I finally threw out the idea to go to, the, to Southern California and just be on a beach for five days. And, uh, and, and each one of the kids responded. Ella said, yeah, I think Justice and I can do it. And Jack said, yeah, we would love to, you know. And Maggie and Abby said, yes, of course we'll go. So Jackie and I got to spend five days with all nine of us on the beach in Southern California. As the days grew closer for that trip to happen, you guys, I was praying, God, help me, help me to, to take full advantage of this. I might not get this again. I, wanna, I don't want to waste one second, is what I was saying. I don't want to waste one second on anything but soaking in this chance to be with my entire family. I don't want to waste it with worry. And you guys, I'm a worrier when it comes to things like this. I, wor- I, th- I look around everybody worrying, are you having a good time? And are you having a good time? I want to make sure everyone's having a good time. I worry that someone's going to go off on their own. I'm going, no, I want them all together and all doing everything together the whole time. No, you can't go do anything on your own. I worry that they all need to be together. I worry about things like weather that's going to throw it off or things like finances that are going to throw it off. But I said, no, this time I am going to take full advantage of every second. And when I came back, someone asked me how was the trip that I knew was praying for me. And I said, it was a success. And he says, what do you mean by success? And I said, it felt like everything that was coming our way in the midst of it, I was just like, no, I'm not going to worry. Not this time. And I was tested. I was tested. Lost my wallet on the first night at the restaurant that we were at, which happens, as it turns out, when you're over 50, you just always lose your stuff all the time. I lost, it, lost my wallet at the restaurant, and, and, and normally that would throw me off. And I said, no, I'm not going to waste my time worrying about it. The next day, we get to the restaurant. Of course, in California, when the restaurant says you're open at 10, they open whenever they want. So when I'm there at 10 o'clock to see if my wallet's there, it's it's just not open yet. And instead of me worrying about it, Ella and I just sat there, my oldest daughter, and we had an hour-long conversation. And then they opened the door, and I walked in, and they said, oh, a little brown wallet, here you go. And they handed me my wallet. I'm like, all right, there we go. Here we go. The next day, we went to Universal Studios, two-hour lines in 95 degrees because COVID, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put more than 30% in each of the, of the carts. And so you're waiting in these long lines. Normally, I'd be like, this stinks. They're having a terrible time. Instead, it was two hours of conversation with my family members in a line and loving the mist that was coming about every 35 minutes, you know? And so I'm just going, man, I, I, and then at the very end, 
At the very end, we're getting, we're getting to the airport, and as it turns out, that's the day the Southwest Airlines totally collapsed, and they canceled every flight in America. And so we were canceled, and so we had, to, we had a night in a hotel. We had Pringles and white wine for dinner that night, which turns out to be an awesome dinner. And, and, and in the end, I didn't worry. I'm like, have a little white wine, 18-year-old Abby. No, I didn't do that. I might have. But, I, but anyway, we just go, man, we, I just, we just I, I enjoyed every second of it. And I came back from that trip, you guys, and honestly, I thought about it in my own life. I thought, these are days that are precious. This is time that is precious. These are relationships that are precious. Is it possible? I thought, is it possible to approach each day back at home the way I did on those five days on that vacation? Is it possible in the midst of all the stuff that we all go through, all the lost wallets of our life, is it possible to say, I'm not going to waste it on my worry I'm not going to waste it on pettiness. I'm not going to waste it on my, the grudge I'm holding. I'm not going to waste it on the frustration I have with somebody. Is it possible that we could take on each day and live it the way I was living it in that vacation? Or is that just idealistic thinking? Is that just, okay, yeah, whatever. You try it, but isn't it going to work when the circumstances of life come our way? Well, Paul actually is talking about this in chapter 2 of Colossians. As he's unpacking the good news of Jesus, he talks through this for us and actually, I think, gives us some hope that it might not be as idealistic as we thought. So let's look through this. Let's look at this through, through Colossians 2. I'm going to do the same thing I did last week for you guys, those of you that were here. I'm just going to walk through the scripture and we'll stop every once in a while. We'll pick up a, a Greek word or two in there and, and, and let's see what Paul has to say for us. It says this right off the bat in chapter 2. It says, I want you to know how great a struggle I'm going through for you and for the people of Laodicea and for all of those that have never seen me face to face. See, right off the bat here, this doesn't really have a lot to do with my point, but I want to make it anyway. I love it how Paul is, he's, he's in prison someplace else, but he's struggling for these guys. Well, how does he struggle for them from someplace else? Man, that means he is struggling in prayer for these people. And he talks about this in a second. He's struggling in prayer. That word struggle is a Greek word. It's called agon, and that's where we get agony. He's in agony over praying for these guys. He's in a battle of prayer for them. And I love that, and I get inspired by that, and I I hope you guys do too, that when you pray, uh, so many times for us we'll pray once, we'll go, that didn't work, and then we'll just stop. But what would it be like if you entered into that battle for somebody Instead of putting them on that shelf that says, well, I prayed once for them and nothing really worked and so now they just continue to wander off where they're at. What would it look like if we were just, if we were in that battle, our own battle? Are you listening, God? My doubts about it, my impatience with it. And we say instead, I'm gonna gonna pray and I'm not gonna give up praying. And that's what Paul was doing in this situation for these guys. He says, my struggle, when I'm struggling, is that their hearts might be encouraged. I want the people in college say, I want their hearts to be encouraged, that they be united together in love. Man, you guys, that, you're going to keep hearing that from me because this is one of the big epidemics of our church today, of the church in America. United together in love. Is the church united together in love? 
And this is a central point for Paul. I pray that they may be united together in love, that they may come to all the wealth of the assured ability to take the right decision in any situation to the knowledge of that truth, which only, God, which only God's own may know, I mean of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now he's getting into what I talked about last week and what he talked about in chapter one. He's getting into wisdom and then understanding that comes with that. The wisdom that is, it, the wisdom, it's the, that Greek word breaks down into just knowing the, 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 the tenets, the key parts of what you believe. And so he prays for wisdom that people would know the love of Jesus, that they would know the gra- grace, what grace means. They would study and learn and live into what forgiveness is. That they would know patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and a faithfulness. They'd know those things. That's wisdom. That's the tenets. That's the things that, 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 that are the characteristics of who Jesus is. And so he's praying that they would know that. But he's also praying for understanding that goes with that. And that word for understanding is a word that breaks down into just our ability to apply what we know. And so he's praying that we would apply that then in our lives, through our lives, to other people in our lives. That's why I said you cannot separate the, the, the forgiveness that God gives us to the forgiveness that we extend to somebody else. And I even said that that's a neglect of the gospel. When we receive God's love, but we don't extend that love to somebody else, we're neglecting the gospel because we're only going to one side. And it's wisdom and understanding. And so that's what Paul is praying for these guys, that they would have wisdom and understanding. It says, I say this so that no one may lead you into error by false reasoning with persuasive arguments. Saying, always come back to those tenets and then how you're living out those tenets. For even if I am absent from you in the body, I am with you in spirit, happy when I see you maintaining your ranks and the solid bulwark of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now look, I was going to go through all of Colossians 2, but this next part that I'm about to read, I, I, I got hung up on this part because this is the thesis of all of Colossians. This is what Paul wants everybody to know is this next part right here. And so, so we're going to unpack this next part. It says this. So then as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. See, that's the very beginning. Remember, beginning, Alpha and the Omega, from beginning to end. And, and it says, as you, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, live your life in him. With wisdom and understanding, live your life in him. Continue to remain firmly rooted and go on being built up in him. Continue to be established more and more firmly in the faith as you were taught it and to overflow with thanksgiving. That's it. That's his thesis. What's Colossians all about? Just go to, to verses six and seven of chapter two and, you're gonna, and you can say, this is what it's all about right here. That we'd, be remain, that we'd remain firmly rooted and built up in him and established more firmly in the faith and, you, and, and the result of that is an overflowing of thanksgiving. Let's break that down a little bit. He says, I want you to be firmly rooted now, now root, firmly rooted, that's, a, that's a, a perfect tense verb because what that is, is it's saying it happened before, but it continues on now. It happened once a while ago and it continues on firmly rooted. 
And so some of you, that might have happened when you were eight years old at a camp. Some of you might have happened when you are 15. For me, it happened when I was 20 in a college ministry up in Seattle. And that's when you, that rooted really began. But then it continues on. Paul loves that imagery because it's an agricultural culture there and, and community. And so he's like, man, I just think about those roots growing deep into the soil of God's love. He talks about this in Ephesians. And I love this passage. It's the passage that Jackie picked for Jackie and I for our, for our, on our wedding day um, because she knew scripture and I knew none of it. And so, and so she says, and it says this in Ephesians, it says, and, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. See, I, I love that. He wants, he wants Christ to be, to be growing around us as we're rooted and grounded in love. It's just funny because so many times in our lives, we're praying that God would, would give us a spiritual high and God's going, no, because you'll come down from a spiritual high. I want you instead just grounded, grounded deeply into the soil of my love where you can experience this, that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. That's all of it, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth from this parameter to this parameter, this gospel life that we have. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he wants us rooted into the soil of his love. That's the starting point. And then he says this, continue to remain firmly rooted and go beyond and then and go on being built up in him. Now, that built up in him, that's a present tense word. That means God is still building. That means God's in is building each one of us right now. That means that we're still under construction. It means we haven't, he hasn't, we haven't figured it all out. It means he's still at work in us, building us up. And that's super important for us. Last week, when I mentioned that piece about how we can't receive God's forgiveness without, without extending it to somebody else, I had someone come up to me afterwards and said, I feel so bad that I can't, that, that I struggle to forgive. I feel so bad that this person that really wronged me, I can't forgive them, and I know I need to. And that's where I, I, when I heard that, I'm going, man, this is what this is talking about. God is continuing to build us up. We haven't fully gotten there. You might not be ready to forgive somebody. You might go, man, I can't. My justice meter is so gone off that I can't. I'm so frustrated or they've wronged me so much that I can't. And what Jesus is telling us, what Paul's telling us right here is he says, he's building us. Begin the journey. Begin the journey of forgiveness. You come in here, confess it. You're sitting here listening to a sermon, but you know you've got something that's just driving you crazy from somebody else. Confess it to God right here saying, I can't, I can't forgive them. That's the beginning of a journey. We either ignore it and we don't go on that journey or we begin it and we confess it. And you might confess it to somebody else and they might talk to you a little bit more about that. And you might not want them to talk about it. And you might go, man, I'm tired of you talking about it. That's part of the journey. The journey towards freeing yourself up by forgiving somebody. The freedom the Holy Spirit gives us by letting that person go 
from what's taking up all of your mind and space. So he's saying, I'm building you up. And you might not want to love the person next to you. You might see a difference in who they are or the way they live their life or what they're doing. And you're going, I don't know if I want to love that person. And Jesus is going, well, you're, we're going to love everybody. And if you don't want to love that person, go on the journey. Just so start learning who that person is and how do I love and how do I walk alongside. That's part of being built up. That's part of God continuing to work on us. It's not just that we're just going to in that instant do that. Come on. It just means I want to get on that journey and stop ignoring it and start learning how to love, how to forgive, how to extend mercy, how to be kind to, to my employee and someone that I work with that I can't stand. And that's get on that journey. He keeps going, he says this, and he says, continue to, to be established more and more firmly in your faith. So it says, continue to remain firmly rooted and go on being built up and then continue to be established more and more firmly in the faith. Now that word established is another word for that is strengthened. Continue to be strengthened, strengthened in your faith, which is a funny word, isn't it? How many of us feel like those two go, go along? Strong and faith. There's a few people in here that I know that say, yes, my faith is really strong. But for most of us, that's an area that we struggle in. My faith is weak. I'll do lots of stuff for God, but my faith is weak. That ability for me to trust fully in who God is and how often do we feel far, far, more, far weaker in that than strong in that. And he's saying, continue to be strengthened or established more and more firmly in the faith. Another present tense word that says, I'm working on that in you. I'm working on that in you. But see, we don't, we just see it as weak faith. And then we say, well, then I'm just going to read my Bible more and I'm going to pray more and I'm going to serve more. And I'm going to do, I'm going to give more. You should do that one. But the rest of them, you, 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 I'm going I'm to do all these things that will make up for this deficiency, which is my faith. That's what I do. And you know how many times I feel so weak in my faith and I think about you guys and I'm going, I'm supposed to lead you guys. I'm supposed to be the one showing you here's what faith looks like. But man, I feel weak in it too. And I'm going, how do I pick somebody up off the mat if I can't get up off the mat in my faith? And so what do I do, man? If I just pray more or if I, if I serve more, then God somehow in crazy mixed up mind, you think maybe that'll be enough to go, God, if I put a deposit in here, that will make up for my lack of a deposit over here in my faith. Don't we do that? And he says, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm praying that you would be strengthened, that God would continue to work in your faith. That isn't about trying, I'm going to earn this by doing the other things. Martin Luther, Martin Luther said, we're hardwired to, to works of righteousness. We're hardwired to this because we feel so weak right here. In fact, J.D. Greer writes this. He says, one of Satan's most effective weapons, I believe, is making us forget the identity the Father has declared over, over you in Christ. And basing our sense of approval on how well we've done. Each day, Jesus says to us, you are my beloved child and I am well pleased in you. Now live that way. 
Satan, on the other hand, says, look at you. Look at the condition of your circumstances. Look at how poorly you're living. There is no way you are God's beloved child. Which voice are you going to, which voice are you going to believe? There's an attorney of difference between them. Man, we listen to this voice all the time. It says, I'm not enough, and my faith is not enough, and maybe if I just do, that'll make up for it. When I was in California, and I'm on that beach, I was, I was reading the book that J.D. Greer had, had was writing, and I'm by myself that morning, everyone else was sleeping in, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there reading this book, and, and I'm looking out at the, at the ocean, and I'm thinking about my own faith. And I'm thinking about how much I beat myself up for a faith that should be stronger, always should be stronger. I think about what's happening in churches and what's happening in our church and what we face going forward. And, and, and I'm going, do I have the faith to do that? And, and, and then you feel that kind of anxiousness of going, God, I'm not what you want me to be. And I looked out at that ocean and I always have my closest times with God at the ocean. I think some people do in the mountains, and I love that. I wish that was me. We have mountains all around us. But when I'm at the ocean, I just see the, the vastness of the ocean, the majesty of the ocean, the, the, the fear that's there, the unknown that's there. As far as you can see, and there's something about that that brings me closer to Jesus. Because I just going, man, God, God's that big. And I felt like what God was telling me in that moment, as I'm looking out at those waves, is I felt like God was saying, I want you to watch every wave. It just keeps rolling in. That's my love for you, Bill. It just keeps rolling in. I started timing it, four seconds, another wave, rolling in. That's my love for you. That's never changing. It just keeps rolling in. And guess what, Bill? The amount of prayer you do isn't going to change these waves. If, you, if you're reading or not, it's not changing these waves. My love for you is not affected by how much you do or little you do. My love for you is still rolling. And sometimes those waves are bigger than others. That's because sometimes you need a slap in the face to say, I love you. But it's still happening. Over and over and over. And for those five days, I'd get up in the morning and I just looked at those waves each day and I'm just going, he is strengthening me. He is telling me, you are loved. Live in that faith. You are loved. Live in that truth. It just keeps coming. God's at work strengthening each one of our lives with a persistency daily to help us to go, his love's right there. And it just keeps on coming. And what happens, you guys, continue to remain firmly rooted and go on being built up in him, continue to be established more and more firmly in the faith as you were taught it, and to overflow with thanksgiving. As we look to be rooted... As we recognize we're being built up, as our faith that we all call weak is being strengthened by his love, 
Something happens that Satan doesn't know what to do with. Thankfulness that can lead to joy. A thankfulness that says, I see you at work in me. I, see, I hear what you are saying. I'm choosing to follow you again today. I see it that you're working on an imperfect, under construction person. I see you working where I call myself weak and you're saying you can be strong. And there's a thankfulness that comes from that, no matter what's going on around us. But I know this is hard though, because this is where I get, there's a snag that happens here because I sit there and I look at everybody and I'm going, yeah, but someone could easily come to me and say, I'm not talking about a lost wallet. I'm talking about a lost son or daughter that just has chosen not to follow Jesus. I'm not talking about a, 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 line, a weight in line. I'm talking about a weight for love in my life. Or I'm talking about the weight of, a, of, having a, of wanting to have a baby. I'm talking about the, the weight of a, of, a, of a doctor's office visit where you might find that there's a terminal illness. I'm not talking about a canceled flight. I'm talking about when I've lost my spouse and I'm alone. And so you, you might say, I'm supposed to find thankfulness as God's working on my heart in that. I was, at a, I was, I was up on campus, and I'm, I want to wrap this up. I was up on campus um, at, at University of Colorado. I was there for 14 years doing ministry up there. And one day I was in the heart of the struggles that I was going through, and, 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 uh, and I decided to go to a, to a noonday mass at St. Tom's up there. I grew up Catholic, and so I, I, I don't walk into there feeling like, what in the world is this place? I walk in there going, I know this. I grew up in it. I was an altar boy. I mean, I know all the different rituals of what you do in the Catholic church. And, and, uh, and there was a point that I left the Catholic church because of the, a lot of the rituals, but now I go back and I love a lot of what those do. I go back and go, man, this is like a great quiet time. Do you know that you start in the Catholic mass, or at least you used to when I used to go, you start with a kneeler, there's a kneeler in front of you and you you put that down on the ground and the first thing you do is you get on your knees. I used to hate that as a kid. It's uncomfortable. I'm looking, ahead, looking over the pew at the woman's purse in front of me, you know, and I'm like, what's in there? You know, I didn't like any of it. But, but now you go, how often are you ever on your knees in prayer to God, to the Lord of your life? And so, I mean, there's something about some of the stuff that I would go back to in that Catholic church and I just go, man, I love this. this, has been, this that's what I was doing that day. Well, when it came to the homily, that's the message part of the, of the Mass, instead of the normal priest that's there at, at, at St. Tom's, they had a bishop that came walking in, and he was in his full garb, and he was about 115. I mean, the guy walked in, he's, he's about 5'3", he's hunched over, shuffling to the front, in his full bishop garb, which that's so bad for me as an altar boy. There's words for that, and I can't remember. And, and, and he came up to the front, and I'm going, what is he going to say? And he couldn't raise his head up to us. So he just preached like this the whole time. And he starts talking about the tapestry that's hanging in his house. Give me a sports analogy. A tapestry? But he starts... He starts talking about this tapestry, and he says when his wife would clean, or his wife, not his wife, when his 
because bishops can't have a wife, when his um, person that would come clean would clean his house, he said the tapestry would be turned over. And he says, when you look at the backside of that tapestry, he said, it's just a mess. He says, it's, it's yarn and stuff that's hanging out. And he says, he says, the colors are all a mess and they're knotted up. And he says, you would look at it and you go, the artist has no idea what they're doing. If you just look at the backside of the tapestry, they have no idea what they're doing. But he says, but when you turn it around and you see the face of Jesus, you're going, oh, I was seeing the backside of the tapestry. For many of us in our life, the things we're dealing with is the backside of the tapestry. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't still fully love you. He doesn't mean that he's still not fully present with you. It doesn't mean that our roots wouldn't be firmly established there. It doesn't mean that he isn't still building you up and strengthening your faith. It just means we're seeing the backside of the tapestry. In the end, we can still find a great joy and a great love because the tapestry is turned around and it is the face of Jesus. A poet wrote this, and you know me, you guys, I'm not a guy that reads a lot of poetry. But it says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaves steadily. Oftentimes he weaves sorrow, and I, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I told you last week that, that Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of, of the Bible called The Message. And he, and he did that for Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, what we just read, this is how Eugene Peterson paraphrased it. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you'll have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. And the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. It's a tapestry that might be turned on the backside. And you might not get it. It's a tapestry that is rooted. It's a tapestry that is built and is building. It's a tapestry that's strengthening us. And it's a tapestry that can lead us to thankfulness and to joy to where we can live out that passage in scripture that says, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And it may be that idealistic thought from California. Maybe there's more truth to that and that we actually could live to that joy. Father, I wanna pray that today in the midst of all of the circumstances that each one of us bring. I want to pray that 
in those circumstances, not separating them out, not pushing them aside, because that's our life. Those circumstances, that's our life. But in those circumstances, Lord, I pray that we would feel roots going deep into the soil of your love. I pray that we would recognize the journey that we go on as you build us up these broken vessels that are under construction. I pray that you would strengthen faith that we beat ourselves up for, that you'd strengthen that faith in us, recognizing that those waves just keep on rolling. The waves of your love never, never, never stop. And God, I I pray that that would lead us to a thankfulness and that we would take this world and this life that we have here within those parameters and we would soak it in, that we would look at that, that, that life, we would look at every second and say, this is another second that I have with precious time for you, precious time in relationships, precious time to make a difference, a gospel difference in the lives of somebody else. God, help us to grab hold of that and to experience that with the joy that you give us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.